The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 41. Mark 12, 41. And uh, we're going to continue this week in our series called Extravagant. We're talking about generous living in light of the gospel. And so it's been a great uh, series so far. We've had great response. People have um, really enjoyed where we've been. And uh, this is going to be just some more additional thoughts, scriptural um, ideas on, on, on generosity and about living in light of, of the gospel. So uh, we're in Mark 12 verse 41, and I'm going to read to verse 44, okay? So let's go. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. So this is Jesus. He just got done telling people, watch out for scribes and Pharisees and people that do stuff so they can be seen. Uh, and then it says he sat down and he's, he's taking a look here at the way people are putting money into the treasury. This is offering time, okay? It says, and many rich people were putting in large sums, A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, she put in all that she owned, all she had to live on. Now, obviously, Jesus uh, is using part of his prophetic gift here to know that this poor widow is giving everything she's got, and so um, that's, that's pretty amazing in and of itself. I think it's also interesting to say right off the bat, this is, this is no small deal. There's a reason this made it into the scriptures, and there's a few cues that would tell us that. Uh, one of them is this, that he said, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. So growing up and many times when I'd heard this before, I would think that he meant her, her contribution was more than the rest of the individual contributions because of the heart she gave it with. So I was close to understanding what Jesus was saying, but he, he's going even farther. He's saying that what she did and because of how she did it, the heart with which she came to give this extravagantly generous offering, she didn't give more than everyone else individually. She gave more than everybody put together. And this tells us some things. So we're going we're gonna to break this down and we're going to pull some principles out of this to help us understand how it is God looks at uh, giving and generosity. So the first thing that I think we can draw from this and, and maybe a misnomer that we can put to sleep is this idea. I think most people believe that they will be more generous if they have more money. Most people believe or have believed at some point that there's this idea that if, if I had more, I would give more. The Bible actually flips that principally on its head, and it tells us this. Both in Luke 16 and in Matthew 25, we see teach, Jesus teach a principle that only those who are faithful with little will be faithful with much. And so most of us believe, well, if I just had more extra, if I, if I had more money, if, if, I was, if I was wealthier, well, of course I would give more. What Jesus says is, no, you won't. If you won't give when you've got a little, you won't give when you've got a lot. And so I think sometimes we, we let ourselves off the hook when it comes to giving and generosity because we're like, hey, man, things are tight. Hey, I don't have a lot. Uh, I think things were tight for the widow, right? We understand that widows in, in Bible time, were they were... They were in an incredibly disadvantaged position. Uh, I, I mean, in, in that time, by and large, the, the, the husband was the breadwinner. They were the ones bringing in the money. Widows oftentimes were taken advantage of. Jesus just was yelling at Pharisees for devouring widows' houses, so they were, they were taking advantage. Uh, it, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't look at this beautifully extravagant, generous offering by this woman He had just said, you know, these Pharisees, they they devour widows' houses. They're taking advantage of of, of these poor and disadvantaged widows. But then this widow comes, and she gives all that she has. Uh, And so apparently in that, this wasn't the result of some crock or some false teaching. And then that's part of what makes it hard, right, for there's been this 
there's been this awkwardness that comes around talking about money between people, right? It's just one of those like politics and religion and finances. Let's just not, right? There's weather and sports and so many other things we could discuss, right? So even on a personal level, people don't like to talk about it. I don't talk about my money, my finances. But definitely when you come into a place, a gathering of God's people, and the church starts to talk about it, it gets rough because of why. Well, because there have been shysters and hucksters forever, right? And people get sick of this idea of, of supposedly holy men using emotional tactics or playing upon uh, the desperation of people to uh, relieve them of their money. That was happening in this time. It happens today. I was just talking to somebody yesterday, and they were telling me about the, the newest thing on, on late night. I don't know how many of you um, have insomnia and or nothing to do in the middle of the night, but there's these infomercials. Uh, these guys, I think one of the guys' names is, um, and I don't have any problem putting out names on this. I think his name's Peter Popov or something like that. I think he was the guy that used to sell blessed Russian spring water that would heal all your ailments and all that type of stuff. Well, he's switched now because they ran out of the special spring water, of course. There's only so much that an Eskimo priest can bless. So, um, you know, he's moved on now, and he's got these Copernican stones or some other junk that apparently they've, they've gone and, and unlodged these stones from the roads around Jerusalem, and apparently, you know, Jesus walked on these stones at some point, and so Jesus' essence is infused in them, and so if you send them 40 bucks or whatever the amount is, they'll send you one of these stones, you know, and you can suck on it, or I don't know what you're supposed to do with it, and it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna, you know, to heal your marriage, heal your sicknesses, all this type of stuff, and, and let me just say something to you. If that guy doesn't repent, he's going to have a really, really bad day when he stands before fire eyes, feet like brass, sword coming out of his mouth, revelation Jesus, okay? It's not going to go good for him. Now, that's like the extreme overt example. It's, it's almost like they, they should, you should don't, I mean, if that's working on you, there's almost to be just tack a stupid tax on top of it, right? Like that's the very extreme, but there's many various and, and more deceptive practices that have been used throughout time uh, for so-called religious men, so-called holy men, uh, to essentially cheat people out of money. And so I think you can spot the difference, though, and, and you should be able to spot the difference in the way Jesus thinks and the way God thinks and the way a, a church that is teaching the way that God puts forth a perspective on generosity and giving it, it, it should show up. It won't be an emotional ploy. It won't be standing up, you know, showing you videos of, of malnutrition kids and, and you know, with, with flies all over them and then trying to, trying to get you to give. There, there's not going to be this emotional arm bending. And, and there's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with alerting people to needs and then asking for help, but there's, there is a difference. And if you have any spiritual discernment whatsoever, you can pick up on that difference. There are people that lie to take folks' money, but there are also people like Jesus who teach about money because it's a super important facet of our lives, and the number one indicator, let me say it again, the number one indicator of where our heart is and who our true master is and who our God is. And so that's why there's, there's several approaches. For, for, I mean, sometimes the, the approach churches take is just not to talk about it anymore because people get upset and don't like it. We can't do that because if we're going to teach through the New Testament, if we're going to teach the things that Jesus taught about, we're going to come up to issues of money. And we shouldn't shy away from it, and it shouldn't be awkward, um, because we need, to, we need to think about it the way God thinks about it, because there's a lot of other ways to think about it, right? Amen. That was a good spot to say amen. Okay. So we, we need to dispel this idea, and I think that we can see that through this text, that it, having more money isn't going to make you more generous. And if you're not, I need you to hear this, if you're not faithful with little, the Bible is clear, you will not be faithful with much. That's exactly how it goes. Um, I, I've seen this practically because I've, I've had, I have and have had a lot of friends in business over the years, very, very wealthy friends that, and, and these guys were very generous givers. And I, I promise you, across the board, they have told me, because I've asked them, they told me it, that writing a $10,000 tithe check is more difficult than writing a $1,000 tithe check, even though that meant that they just made $100,000 instead of $10,000. Across the board, they've told me, if they had not been faithful when they were making ten grand to write the 1000 bucks, then they definitely could not have written the 10000 when it came to 100000 
And that's just their words to me. And this is more than one person. This is not me telling them, hey, this other guy told me this. What do you think about it? I'm telling you over and over again, they said to me, it doesn't get easier just because the numbers get bigger. It actually gets harder. And if there's not discipline and faithfulness and little things, you definitely aren't going to be faithful in much. It's, it's, there's a, can you just, just put yourself in the situation, right? Um, somehow there's an inheritance or something, and, and all of a sudden 500000 bucks hits your bank account. Now, we don't teach a rigid tithe here, but for many of us, that, that we believe that's the floor of giving and not the ceiling, right? And so that's, we're talking about $50,000. You're about to have to stroke a check for fifty grand. It's like your hand be shaking when you write that thing, right? But it shouldn't be. And, and if, if it doesn't shake at 50 bucks, it's going to be a lot easier in that day to trust God and, and, and know that writing that 50,000 is, is worshipful and is right. Um, now, some of, you, some of you automatically are upset because I use 10% as a rubric whatsoever. You're, you're, you're over there going, did he say tithe? That's not in the New Testament. And I'm glad you're a Bible scholar, um, but let's talk about it, okay? As I've said before, and we've said through this series many times, I mean, if this is your first time here, then I, I just want to make sure you hear us say this. We do not believe that a rigid tithe or 10% is how the New Testament teaches us to approach worshiping with our finances, okay? We don't believe that the New Testament presents it that way. I do want to tell you this, though, just as a side note. Every successful Christian business person I've ever known, ever, ever known, has treated the tithe as a floor to their giving and not a ceiling. So I don't know what that means, but I'm just giving that to you. That's a fact. So you can do with that what you will. The reality here is, to me, it's actually pretty funny when people argue against tithing because they want to justify not being generous. Now, if somebody wants to have a conversation about not throwing a yoke of a legalistic tithe on people because it's, I, I don't actually believe that's the right way to go about talking fi about finances as far as the New Testament is concerned. If that's the motivation, that's a great conversation to have. Amen, hallelujah, let's, let's bust out our Bible and our commentaries and let's work through it. But many times, people are actually arguing against the tithe because they really just want to justify not being generous. They, they don't like the idea of giving potentially 10% of their income to the work of God and, and building his kingdom. Here's the reality, though. Here's why it's funny to me. If you understood what the New Testament really teaches in regards to grace and its effects on the way we live, and if you are also a stingy Stanley, right, you should be arguing for the tithe. Okay? I'm going to qualify that. I'm, I'm going to say it again so that you're with me. I want to make sure you're with me. If you're stingy and you argue about the tithe not being in the New Testament, and you're like, I don't see that there. Find the word tithe for me between Matthew and Revelation. We can't. Amen. Praise God. You're right. I'm glad you've read every word and you've looked. And that's, you know, that's why you read it. <laughs> yep, it's not in there. All right, sweet. No. Okay? You daggone sinner. You're stingy. And if that's why you're going at it that way, then you're wrong. Okay? Your heart's wrong. But if, if you actually understood what the Bible teaches in regards to grace and how that should affect the way we live... You would argue for the tithe because here's what you would understand. The law, the law, so when, when tithe was the, was the deal, right? That's, that's what God gave to his people as, as the, the requirement for to worship with the first fruits of what came into them. The law, the law said don't cheat on your wife. It's a good rule. Grace says don't even lust in your heart after another woman. So what just happened there, Right? The law said don't cheat on your wife. Jesus comes on the scene, and, and because of what he does, because he comes and reveals more clearly the character and the nature and the perfection and the holiness of the God that made us and sent him to the earth to rescue us, what happened? Did, it, did, that, did that get more or less stringent? It went from don't cheat on your wife to, man, don't even lust after a woman in your heart because in, in that you're committing adultery, okay? The law says love your neighbor, Grace comes in and tells us, love even your enemies. Did that get harder or easier? Woo! <laughs> the requirement went higher, right? The law said, give 10%. Grace says, follow after Jesus and give until it hurts, and then keep going. 
And why is it that grace is able to just, in a just way, require more of us than the law ever did? Because God sent Christ to come and to reveal more fully the depth of his beauty, the incredible nature of his mercy, the fact that he is so faithful and so loving that he would come and pay the price for the problem that we cause. So under grace, we have a better understanding. We have more reason for gratitude. We have more reason to live a generous life. We have more reason to live radically and recklessly for the sake of the glory of our king. That's why grace requires more than the law ever did. So with your stanky, stingy attitude, you better quit arguing against the tithe. You better just, better just do it and, and, and be quiet and ask for God to help your heart, man. Quit it. Goodness. The wild thing about this passage, friends, let's think about it. The woman with the two copper coins that gave every, Jesus says she gave everything she had, everything she had to live on. Was she under grace or law? Law. Had Jesus died yet? Had Jesus risen yet? Was, was Christ's work finished? No, we weren't even under grace yet. And somehow this woman had such faith and trust in her God, such gratitude in her heart to her God, that she was able to put everything she had to live on in that box. And you have to, there's something, it's not, un, it's not unfair or it's not scary to infer the kind of faith and trust this woman had to have. She was trusting the Lord, obviously. And she did not even have the benefit we have of a full understanding. She hadn't seen that Jesus rose from the grave yet. Maybe she heard some of his teaching, right? But she was in the same boat everyone else was. Man, this guy's powerful. Man, he does miracles. What he says seems to make sense. But then he's saying some other stuff that I'm not sure about, right? It wasn't until he died. And then when he said, I'm coming back, and he did, and the stone rolled away, everyone's like, yep, that's the guy. Woo! She hadn't seen all that yet. We have. We have the benefit of the totality of the story being told. We've seen it, man. We know that he rose from the grave. And so what do we have to fear in regards to finances? How is it that we struggle to be generous? This woman is an incredible model for us. Um, and, and she didn't even have all of the benefit we have to be fully under grace. Praise God for that. Just yesterday I was talking about generosity with a couple of friends, and uh, this principle came up, this idea of you know, being, being faithful with little, that means you're going to be faithful with much. Um, and and it, it came up organically. I, I didn't steer it that way. We were just talking about this sermon series, and so the, the conversation kind of flowed. And it was while we were speaking of, of living a life of extravagant generosity, and that being the only proper way to follow the example of Jesus, one of, one of the people said, you know, it's really hard to be generous when you live paycheck to paycheck, right? So we're just, we're just walking through this conversation. Everybody's being open and honest and just saying where they're at about it. And they're just like, man, that is, it's hard when, I, when, he, when it's like there's that many dollars and it takes that many dollars to keep the thing going. It's like that's, that's rough. But, but I, her husband responded immediately with something that told me that the Holy Spirit was illuminating his heart to this truth. And we hadn't even talked about it. And so it was so encouraging what he said because, because she said, you know, man, it's, it's hard to be generous when you're living paycheck to paycheck. And his response was, yeah, honey, but if that's the case, then we need to look at why we live paycheck to paycheck and change what is necessary in our lifestyle so that we can be generous. And, and being, you know, being the guy that's five weeks deep in a, in a series on generosity, and they're, they're not a part of this church, they're friends from, from another situation. And so just the fact that uh, I watched the Holy Spirit turn in those gears because at the beginning of the conversation, I don't think he was there, but, but it just, just in that short little bit of sowing the truth of the word, God was already cultivating this attitude in his heart. He's like, yeah, he agreed. It is hard to live. It is hard to be generous when you live paycheck to paycheck. But he said, so what, so what are we going to do about that? Are we just going to say, well, someday if we have more, then we'll be generous? He's like, no. He said, hon, we need to go sit down. We need to take a look at why it's paycheck to paycheck. Because being generous is not an option if we're followers of Christ. And, you know, I didn't high-five him, but I wanted to. <laughs> like, brother, you got it. Yes, sir. Amen. So the first principle we're pulling out is that uh, if you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. You're not going to give more when you have more. You're not going to be more generous because you have more money. That, that's not the way it works. And, 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 and almost, you know, to some degree, having that attitude is going to stifle God from being able to 
give more to you, right? God, God is looking for funnels. God is looking for conduits. God is looking for people that don't get attached to the, the things that he trusts them to manage and that they'll be open-handed with it. And so uh, if, if you're a generous person motivated by the beauty of the gospel, God's going to bring more to you because he knows you'll do the right things with it, right? And so that's, that's just, you, you almost, you could set yourself up for failure with the idea, well, if, if I just, if I had more, then I would give more. Well, God said, no, if, if you have a little and you're faithful with that, then I know I can give you more, right? And that's, that's just the biblical principle from front to back. It's all over, not just here, okay? So we just, we got to think right about that. All right, um, the, the second principle that I want to pull out of this is that trust and faith, trust and faith please God. Uh, in, in Hebrews eleven six, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Um, and I just want to point to the, the, the obvious faith and trust that this widow had in God. I've already said something about it before, but it just, I, it's hard for me to not talk about it because it's, it's pretty mind-blowing, knowing not just that she, this wasn't just like a down-on-her-luck week. Like this, this woman was a widow. She had lost her husband. Her, her, she was incredibly vulnerable. She was in a really difficult state. And, and somehow, the, the little bit that she had left, she, she was able to trust that God was going to, to meet her where she was at, that he was going to, to provide for her, and that he saw her and knew her. Her trust and her faith were such that she was able to take that last little bit she had and give it to the work of God, knowing that he was going to take care of her. I admire her. I admire her so much, and, and I, I pray that God would cultivate that kind of trust and faith in me. I'd like to think if I was down to my last two pennies, this would be where I'd go with it. Um, but I guess you don't know until you get there, right? Um, what we need to understand is that God is worshipped by and delights in us when we trust him by faith. God is worshipped and he delights in us when we trust him by faith. It is a form of worship. This is much of how us giving generously is a form of worship, no less than when we sing, uh, no less than any other form. And, and really... To some degree, it, it's, it's much more a form of worship because, um, you know, for some of us, it's painful to sing because we don't sing good and it's, we don't want people to hear us. So there's a little bit of a, eh, that's hard to do. But, but to sing songs, it, it's, not, it's not really costing us a whole lot. But when we worship with finances, um, there's, there's just, it's, it brings a special pleasure to God because it proves our trust and faith in him. Uh, and, and we know because of Hebrews, that without faith, it's impossible to please him. Um, and I was thinking about this and, and, I, and I realized, you know, that I can... I'm not I try to never ever say I, I get something to the degree that God does or I can relate to him, but, but as a father, I can to some degree understand how he would delight in and, and feel joyous about us trusting him by faith in regards to finances. For example, um, there's been times where like I'll be swimming with my kids and you, you've all seen kids, they've maybe just started to learn how to swim, and they're a little bit, you know, leery about the water. Um, that's not my kids anymore. If, I mean, if, if you let go of Max near a bottle, body of water, I mean, he will just launch himself as far out as he can go. So you actually, we have to watch him on the reverse now. But, uh, you know, when we first started, that, that's, a, that's a scary situation. So you stand there at the side, and, um, and, and I would say to them, you know, come on, jump. I'm right here. I'll catch you. And uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's really a beautiful moment for me when at first, they're scared, they're tentative, they're not sure, they, they keep looking at the water, looking at you, looking at the ground, like, am I going to do this? You know, you can tell their little wheels are turning, and, but then, you know, they're, they're, it's like they're, they're stuck in this, this frozen state of fear, and then I, I would say to them, I'd say, look at my eyes and listen to me. Daddy's not going to let you get hurt. I will not drop you. You can jump. And then, you know, I watch their little face change as they process what I just said from, from fear to confidence, and then they would do it. They would jump right into my arms. And I, I got to tell you, that's an incredible feeling. That's a beautiful feeling for a father. Uh, to know that my kids trust me, they trust my word, they trust that I'm not going to let them fall in that water, I'm not going to let them get hurt. To know that they trust me, it blesses my heart. And so to some degree, I can understand how Father God is blessed, and he, and he feels worshipped and magnified when our, us as his kids, right, when we've got, that, we've got that whatever it is in our hand, he's like, just, you, you can let that go. Trust me. I'm not going to let you fail. I'm not going to let you starve. I got you. I'm going to provide for you. And, and, you know, we're looking at that, and we're looking at the account, and we're looking at the stack of bills, and it's like, you know, we're doing the same thing the kids do on the side of the pool, but then when, when we jump, man, we jump, and, and 
jump into Father's arms and he catches us. I just know it blesses him. The Bible's clear uh, from front to back that faith pleases and honors God. And so this is another way that we can, we can show trust and faith in him. Uh, it brings honor to him and it brings joy to him. And I don't know about you, but I, I'm looking for ways to make Father God smile. He's been good enough to me. He's proven himself faithful. He's worthy and wonderful. And so I, I'd rather make him smile than make him facepalm. You know, I did, I've done enough of that and, and still do from time to time as I struggle with my humanity. But um, I'm looking for opportunities to bring pleasure to the heart of Father God. And so uh, trusting him by faith in regard to finances, it's, it's a hard thing to do. Um, but it's, it's a blessing to him when we do it. And, and the reality is, friends, that much of our struggle with generosity, if we really think through it, it's, it's, it is a lack of trust. Uh, for many of us, it is difficult to believe that God the Father rejoices and receives glory when we are joyful. For some of us, we haven't fully bought the fact that God receives glory and that he rejoices when we are joyful. He doesn't ask us to do anything that won't lead to more freedom and more joy. And living a sacrificially generous life is no different, right? I think most of the time we think of God as like the rule guy. And so one of the rules, I got to give him my money, you know, it's that kind of attitude. When the reality is God is about our joy. God is about taking everything out of your life that's going to hurt you and putting everything in that's going to be a blessing to you, that's going to increase your joy, increase your happiness. God rejoices and is glorified when his kids are full of joy. That doesn't mean we don't have hard times. It means he gives us the strength to have joy in hard times. And this is no different. He would not ask us. He would not lay out this pattern of sacrificial, generous giving for the life of those that are going to follow after Jesus the King. He wouldn't lay that out. He wouldn't give us those principles. He wouldn't tell this story in his word to, to give us an example of what this looks like. He wouldn't ask of us generosity of, of a radical nature when it comes to our finances if it wasn't going to be for our joy. If it wasn't ultimate, if, I mean, for some of us, it's like, I can give, but then there's no jet ski, Meh, right? You know, it's, or what, that's a dumb example, but whatever it is, right? I'm going to have to lose something in order to live this way, but we don't, maybe for some of us, the disconnect is you don't quite believe yet that to give that, to sow into the work of God's kingdom, to be free of the entrapments that material fixation comes with is actually where the greatest joy possible can be found. Yeah, Amen. Some of you have, obviously. Praise God for that. Amen. That's the truth, though. God's not asking you for anything because he wants you to be bummed out. He asks you only to do things that are going to lead to freedom and joy for you. And if we believe that, I think it would affect the way we give. I think it would affect how quickly we're willing to open our hands and release the things that he's entrusted us to manage, which is really what that looks like. Praise God. Uh, the third principle we want to draw from this is that God cares more about why we give than what we give. This has been a theme we've woven through the entirety of this sermon series because it's so important to get. We can't talk about it enough because for us, so much, we get fixated upon the act of giving. God clearly, this, this tells us without a doubt that Father God is, is more interested in why we give than what we give. This, this proves it if nothing else does. This story of of Jesus sitting here watching and a bunch of wealthy people are dropping big numbers into the offering bucket and then here comes this, this poor widow that drops something that's the equivalent of a couple cents and what he says about that. It proves to us beyond a shadow of a doubt that God cares more about why we give than what we give. This shows us that God doesn't need the money. Right? Do we know that? God doesn't need the money. It is he who owns the earth and all it contains. God is interested in the hearts of his people. That's what he cares about. And there is no more sure indicator of the heart's affections than what we do with the things that God has entrusted us to manage. Do you see that? There is no better indicator of where our heart's affections are than what we do with the things that God has entrusted us to manage. The financial wealth, the material wealth, all of that. Matthew 6 and Luke 24 both say this. This is something that Pastor Jordan worked through with us. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. That's, it's not just a piety little statement to put on a fridge magnet. Like Jesus is really teaching us something here. He's driving something home. And he wants us to understand this is why we can't 
faithfully claim to teach the Bible and not talk about issues of generosity and giving. We have to talk about money to be faithful at all to what the scriptures talk about because there's no better indicator possible for who your master is than what you do with what God has trusted you to manage. None. God cares more about why you give than what you give. Jesus sitting here applauds the two cents, not the big bags full of gold coins. We got to think, what is, okay, so what does that communicate to us about the way God thinks about this? Obviously, uh, the amount is not the big deal. It's what's going on in here. Why is that? Because this is what God's after. God don't need your money, friend. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Spoke and created everything that exists. He is Lord over heaven. That doesn't need our paltry dollars, okay? But what he does want, what he does desire is our hearts. And so he gives us the opportunity, the privilege to give to him, to worship him with our wealth, with the things that he's entrusted to us. Because part of that, it, 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 has, a, it has a correcting effect upon our heart. All of us have this tendency towards idolatry all the time. There's, there's a constant pull to be worshiping something other than the God that made us. That was, that's what Romans 1 says, that humankind, we constantly struggle with this tension of getting pulled into worshiping created things instead of the creator. It's so dumb. It's so frustrating. It frustrates me about myself when I realize that it's happening, but it is that tendency. But when we live radically and extravagantly generous lives, it cuts the head off that thing over and over again. When we say, no, what the priority is with the things that God has entrusted to me is the furthering of his work, the preaching of his gospel. It makes it very hard for our vision to get pulled to the left and the right on all this other goofy stuff that we get focused on. Amen. Here's the reality. It is not about the size of your offering, but the size of your obedience. It is not about how much money you give, but how much gratitude you have. And God does not need your treasure but he delights in your trust. That's the truth about it. That's the truth. I also, I can understand this principle again to some degree from personal experience. Um, I, I'm not putting myself in God's place in this. I've just been in the position to have different situations happen and, and be entrusted with receiving that. And so I, I can I can understand the heart of Christ as he observes this situation with, with the rich folks and, and with the widow. Um, I, I've, had, I've had people hand me big checks. Um, early on, the beginning of Love City, I, I just, it was just a friend, a, a guy I knew through business I'd done contracting for him, and he, he was having a, a crisis in his family, and he, and he was struggling, and I didn't do anything different than I would for anybody else that called me. I just spent time with him on the phone and just pointed him towards the scriptures, pointed him towards Christ and, and towards him being a shepherd and peacemaker over his home to bring a solution. And so just spent some time with him. And then he, the next day he called me and asked me to come to his office. And so I brought my Bible. I thought he was looking for more counsel. And we did talk a little bit, but the reason he called me there uh, is, you know, he, he sat down and he said, I, I talked to my wife about what you talked to me about and, and I can already tell God's helping us and I'm, I'm just so thankful and he said and I prayed about it and, and the Lord spoke to me and he slid a check across the thing he said I, I know that God has called your church to come into existence I know Love City is of God and he said um, God told me to sow into it and this brother slid a check across the table for 10 grand and that mattered right because I don't know if you know our story we started out with 10 people in a living room uh you know, with energy and clapping hands. Like, that's what we had. <laughs> we had no money, man. You're supposed to have money when you plant a church. Nobody told me this, right? You're supposed to raise a bunch of money first. I didn't do that. <laughs> I just said, yeah, come on. Let's tell people about Jesus. Who wants to come, right? <laughs> it's like, and some people were crazy enough to come, so it's fun. And here we are. But, um, yeah, that meant a lot, man. That was, it, 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 spoke, it, it spoke to me from, from God's perspective, just like God saying, look, I see you, I see what you're doing, and, and, and I'm, I'm in it, right? And so that was, that was beautiful, and it was, it, it was helpful, and, and I was so thankful for it. And so I've, I've had that happen. That's not the only story. There's other stories like that, but I've had that happen. But on the other side, and this has happened maybe one or two times, maybe three times, but there's one guy that really sticks. I can, I can picture, if he was in this room, I could point him out to you. I remember his face so vividly. Uh, it was on one of our homeless outreaches, and, and, and we were out there, 
It was middle of winter, super cold, and uh, we, we gave this guy a meal, and, and he was standing there eating, and we were, we were talking a little bit, and he just, um, he, he started to cry, and he asked me, he's like, why are you guys doing this? It's so cold. Why are you out here? And I said, well, bro, Jesus has been so good to us, we can't help ourselves. We have to find ways to be good to other people. And one of the ways we can do that, one of the ways we can answer the call of the gospel is to serve those that are struggling. And so that's why we're here, man. We're here to represent Christ and um, just to help whoever we can. And it was on, you could see him processing it. And, and I don't know if his brother was a Christian or not. Um, we, we, we didn't get that far in the conversation. But as he was processing that and, and tears just coming down his face, he, he sat his bowl of chili down or whatever it was, and he reached in his pocket like this, and he turned it inside out, all the way out like this, and what came out was a dollar and 32 cents. The change was all pennies. And he pulled it out, and he, and he goes to hand it to me, and I was like, no, 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 man. This, this is free. God's provided this. You know, we, we've got it. It's cool. And he said, no. Listen to me. I have to give to this. You have to take this money. And I'll argue with him three or four more times because if you're, if you're putting yourself emotionally in the place, place I was at, this was tough because I just saw the guy turn his pocket inside out, okay? So he had more going on than the sister with two copper coins, but this was it. This is all he had. And he was so moved with gratitude for what God was doing in that moment, he, he felt compelled that he had to give. And so I kept pushing back. I said, no, brother, I, I promise you, man, God's brought us this stuff through donations and, and, and stuff like that, and a little bit of money it does cost. You know, I'm way playing it down. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to convince them almost it's free. Like, no, because I do not want to take this guy's dollar and 32 cents. And, and in the middle of that, I've, I felt the Spirit of God smack me in the back of the head and say, you take that money. And so I took it gently from his hand, made sure I didn't drop one penny. And I put it in the truck, and I kept it separate. And I just got to say to you, like, the $10,000 check day, that meant a lot. And it was very impactful. But the dollar and 32 cent day rocked me and it taught me something. And I'm just saying that, I'm not saying that I understand things like God does or that my perspective is like his, but I've been in both situations. Somebody gave a lot and somebody gave a little. And um, the one that gave a little, it did, it did mean more. And it did teach me more, and it was precious. So um, I think sometimes, sometimes folks think that this stuff just gets made up. Like, who would ever actually give the last little bit they have towards the work of God? You know, sometimes people get cynical. I'm sure that story got added in just to guilt trip us into giving. I've seen it, guys. And I promise you that's not the only person. I remember him most vividly over the last five years of doing it. I can't remember when it was, but this guy's face, I remember his eye color, I remember everything about it, because I, I mean, there was such a God moment in what happened, it impacted me, uh, taught me, <laughs> taught me some stuff about where my heart was at, so, um, people, people do this, they will do that, um, and it's pretty incredible. This, this, the fact that this story of the widow's might um, is in the scriptures is one of the examples that I would give when someone accuses the church of changing the scriptures throughout history for some like supposed diabolical benefit. Have you ever heard people say, oh, you can't trust the Bible, it's been altered, the church throughout history has changed it, la-da-da-da-da, they've added stuff and taken stuff out? T to me, like if that was true, first, like if you just look at the accounts of the, the, the disciples, like they, <laughs> if there was going to be some editing done, like I think, you know, Peter, the, the head of the disciples would have been like, here's a few stories we're going to just take out, guys. It's not important. You know, <laughs> that doesn't go with the flow. You know, me denying Jesus and stuff. They don't need to hear that. You know what I mean? So first of all, it's just kind of silly altogether. But like if, if the church was about money as, as it's accused of being so often, I, I would think the widow's might would have got pulled out, right? Because it, it doesn't really... If, if the church was going to go through and edit stories and modify them for some diabolical benefit, this story would probably look different. It would be like, you know, a widow came up and put her two mites in the box and Jesus kind of scoffed. And then this rich guy came up with a big old fatty bag of gold coins, dropped it in, and Jesus started whistling and hollering and clapping. And he told everyone that we should carry this guy around on our shoulders and sing, here's a jolly good fellow, right? Because if the church was trying 
to just be about getting people's money, Jesus would have applauded what? The person that gave a whole bunch of money. But apparently, God is not about that. And apparently, churches that are about what God's about aren't about that. They're about teaching people that, that their heart is what God is after. That their trust and faith in a perfect father who has promised to provide is, is what he's after. Right? So if, if the church was going to edit stuff, I don't think that the, the two copper coins would have been the one Jesus was celebrating. Um, just that's, that's my own snarky attitude about it. You can do what you want with it. Um, the, the last thing I want to point out to you is that uh, this, this act by this poor widow, that this obviously, it touched the heart of the master. And when I talk about wanting to be a blessing to God because of how good he's been to us and wanting to be, um, find ways to bring joy to the heart of God, it is obvious that this event touched Jesus um, and it really got to his heart. And, and I'll, I'll give you some examples of why. Uh, first of all, we see uh, in verse 43, it says, calling his disciples to him, he said to them. So you get this idea that Jesus just kind of posted up and was just watching what was happening there at the treasury. The disciples are out doing whatever they're doing. It's, you know, they're kind of spread out and around. And when this happens, when this poor widow walks up with these two copper coins and she puts those things in there and Jesus perceives by the power of the Spirit that this is the last two coins that this woman has. And what she wants to do with them is give them to God. It touches Jesus in such a way that he's like, hold on, stop the show. Whatever you're all doing, stop. Come here. Come here, I need to talk to you. He calls everybody, he calls a huddle. Get in here. We need to talk about this. And so you see that Jesus is gripped by this act of faith. It touches his heart in such a way that he wants everybody to stop what they're doing because I got something I got to show you guys and I got a principle I need to teach you out of it. And so this blesses Jesus that this woman acts this way. I think the other thing that, that is probably true in this and part of why this grabbed the heart of Christ in this specific time is if uh, th this story is recorded in Mark and Luke and if you turn a page in your Bible it's not very long until you begin to see the Last Supper story and then the betrayal of Judas and so chronologically every place this story is told it's told towards the very end of Jesus' ministry it's coming up to the time uh, and, and, and to me there's no doubt that Jesus saw himself in this widow that her act of giving absolutely everything she had to God, that he saw himself in that because what he was about to do is give absolutely everything he had to God, including his very life. He was going to give himself as an offering to God for the sake of others. Um, and this, this occasion happened so close to that that happening of events that there's no doubt it was on his mind. There's no doubt that as, as she... <laughs> as she made this incredible sacrifice, it almost, it, it, it seems reckless, doesn't it? That this widow would take the last two little bits of money she has and put that in, in, in the treasury as an offering to God. It, it seems nonsensical. It seems radical. But so does the God of the universe taking on flesh and living a perfect life just so that he can take the beating and he can take the death, he can take the torture that all of his children caused and deserved. That seems reckless too. But Jesus took that reckless step. He stepped in. He lived an absolutely perfect life, the one that none of us could, and then he died the death that absolutely every one of us deserved he, in, a, in a completely extravagant and reckless work of generosity. Jesus laid himself down as the final atoning sacrifice for sin. No doubt the radical generosity of this woman brought to Jesus' remembrance the fact that he was about to also give of himself in a radically generous way. And so I, when I think about that, I think about the beauty of the fact that every single time I will push down the tendency to be stingy. I will push down the tendency to justify that because of some type of, of logic or, or, or whatever, whatever justification I use for not being generous. Every time I resist that temptation, 
and I, and I am generous, and I, I, I am extravagant in my generosity, and I give in such a way that somebody might look at and say is reckless. I, I take solace in the fact that in the same way that that woman's giving touched the heart of the master, that I can touch the heart of God, and at the very same time, I can be reflecting to the world the incredible generosity of our God. Radical and extravagant generosity reflects to the world the character of our God. And of course, we don't give, the Bible's clear, we don't give and then call the news and say, hey, look what I did, right? We don't let our left hand know what our right hand gives, but sometimes God in his providence sets things up so that people do see your generosity. Not because you trump, it's all about your heart, right? Sometimes God will make sure somebody sees that you did something extravagantly generous because it's either going to bring conviction to them, encouragement to them, or it's just going to cause them to question, why would somebody do that? I mean, can you imagine the people standing around? Why would a widow put the last two little bits she had in this thing? The only conclusion you can come to is either she's crazy or she really trusts God. And I'm okay with being uh, accused of both, to be honest with you, all at the same time. I'm thankful that this is another way by living an extravagantly generous life, following the example of King Jesus. This is another way I can reflect to the world that something's different because of what he's done. Something's different because I have been changed by the power of the gospel. I, it, it's, it's so beautiful and exciting for me to think about us as a church largely reflecting that, not just in an individual way, but that we as a people live in such a radical and extravagantly generous way that constantly through the way we live, through the way we handle finances, through the way we open our hands and the way that we sow seed, that constantly the goodness and the provision and the faithfulness and the generosity of God would be preached to the world. That is an exciting thought. And I'm thankful because we already have that in many ways. There's, I, I, I could go through story after story of the ways I know that God has used people that are a part of this fellowship that were willing to be extravagantly generous. And it, it not only blessed the person that was the focus of it, but it was also any other people that were around, family members that were aware. There's some of you that have been extravagantly generous and paid the price to go do missions trips with us, to build houses for people where we stood in, in poor communities where, you know, Everything around was, was garage doors or pieces of tin put together where we've taken down a small house, no, no bigger than the size of this little altar area here, and we've built someone a home with two bedrooms and a living room and a loft. You've been there. You've stood in the community. You've been there when we hand them the keys, and people in the community are cheering and praising God and thanking him. You guys have done that. I know that as a church that many of us, we get this, but we have to keep talking about it. We have to keep checking ourselves, and we always want to be looking, just like my friends that were talking. They realized that, that it, by the Holy Spirit moving on their heart, you know, if, if the way we're thinking about generosity is, well, it's hard because it's paycheck to paycheck, then what I need to do is go back and figure out why it's paycheck to paycheck, because if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to be generous. There's no way out of it. And so I'm thankful that this is a generous church. I'm thankful that these principles are already working in us. Um, my great hope is that they continue to be cultivated, that we grow in this gift, and that we are known as an extravagantly and radically generous church, that we as a people, together, that we do it individually, but also together, that we would effectively uh, reflect the generosity of God to as many people as possible. Because it's God's loving kindness that draws people to him. Praise God. May we be a people who do not wait to be generous, but instead commit to be faithful with little, knowing that it is the key to being trusted with much. May we be a people who worship God with our trust and declare that trust with the way we give. And may we be a people who truly believe that our Father loves us and wants our joy to be full. And that is why he calls us to be his extravagantly generous children. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord God, for this church. I thank you that this church um, doesn't make it awkward to speak 
about finances and speak about generosity. I thank you, God, that we are a people that have been uh, captured uh, by the beauty of your love and by the power of your gospel. And so um, we know that there's no part of our life that we get to section off and, and not deal with. We know there's no part of our life that doesn't become affected and changed um, by, by the power of your gospel and by the fact that we have been changed uh, from agents of darkness to children of light, from, from dead sinners enslaved to our sin to free children of God that now live a different way. Thank you, God, that all of this be for your glory. Lord, please help us. Please help us not to fall into the, the deception that if, if we just had a little bit more, then we would be more generous. God, please, by the help of your Holy Spirit, we are asking that you would help us to see where we're at right now, how we can be generous. Help us, God, uh, like this widow, to really worship you with our trust, to really bring joy to your heart because of the faith that we have that you will not fail, that you are our provider. God, may we not look to jobs, may we not look to uh, however it is our income comes in, God. May we never be a people that would imagine our wealth an unscalable wall. Let us not be the fool uh, that begins to think that, that our money is somehow going to be the God that rescues us if we get sick or rescues us if, 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 if we lose a job or some other tragedy befalls us. May we never be people that think that money is going to answer all those things because as quick as it comes, it can go. I thank you, Lord, that you're faithful, never failing. May all of our trust and faith be put in you. You are our strong tower. You are the place we run to and are safe. Within the reach of your arms, God, we know we're protected and provided for, and we're so thankful for that. God, help us to believe. Help us, please. We struggle with this. Help us to believe that you are glorified when we are joyful. Help us, God, to understand that you don't ask anything of us because you want us to be bummed out. But God, may we understand that when you ask us to live a certain way or do a certain thing, that you know that very thing, obedience to that, is going to lead to joy for us. God, we know that's true. We get distracted sometimes and we forget it, but we ask that that would happen less and that we would live in light of the truth that you are glorified and you rejoice when we, your children, are full of joy. So thank you for that and help us, Lord, to react accordingly to that beautiful truth. Lord, we just ask that in, in all these things, God, that we would be faithful as you are faithful. Help us to follow the extravagantly generous example of King Jesus, our Lord. Help us, Lord, to avoid the common justifications and the ways we try to wiggle. Um, God, help us to just trust you. Help us to obey you. May you be honored by the way we live and by the way we give. We love you. We thank you for your help in this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.